If you have your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We are continuing our fall series on the church today as we examine the state of the church, where we are at, not just this church, but the church collectively across North America and across the world. How many know that the church today, we need some help, don't we? There's healthy churches, but there's a lot of churches that are struggling. And those who would say, yes, I'm a Christian, and maybe even show up in a church of some kind on Sunday, unfortunately, are probably not spiritually with the Lord. And isn't that sad that you can be in a garage, just because you're in a garage doesn't make you a Ford, and doesn't mean just because you're in church doesn't make you a Christian. We have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ as Lord. Amen? And we come together as a church, worshiping together, but we are the church wherever we go. We are his hands and his feet and his voice. And so we're examining the state of the church and also looking at the mission of the church. And we're using the church in Thessalonica as our a template, as our roadmap. You see, this church was in the capital city of Macedonia, a Roman colony, big city for its day, 200,000 people, lots of commerce, and very multicultural, and unfortunately, many people steeped in pagan idolatry. Think, well, what is that? That's like actually worshiping idols and sometimes doing detestable practices to those idols. And they were polytheistic. They believed in multiple gods, not just one deity, but many deities. The Greeks had their mythology and their gods. The Romans had their gods. And so all of these different things happening. And in the midst of this sinful city was this new little church that Paul raised up, a little house church. So in Thessalonica, they were known as the Thessalonians. And Prince George, are we the Prince Georgites or the Prince Georgians? Georgians, let's go with that. It just sounds better. And so Paul was writing to them now, trying to encourage them. But instead of being defeated or discouraged or fearful, this church was thriving in the midst of a very difficult environment. And you might say, Pastor Scott, today, you know, to be a Christian in today's culture feels like I've got a target on my back. You know, I go to church and then I go to work. And when they start asking me, well, do you believe in, you know, that kind of classic Christianity, traditional values, the word, the Bible, what it says, it's like all of a sudden, you know, they try to pigeonhole me. They try to label me as being something that I'm not, where I'm just trying to show the light and love of Jesus. And it's not easy to be a Christian today at times, is it? We can be honest about that. But is it worth it? Absolutely. Amen. Because his blessings always outnumber our trials. And so we're going to take a look at this. Chapter 2, this is what it says. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So they've been persecuted, they're in conflict, but they're still being bold. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. Nor do we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. 
so affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Jesus, we pray for the next few moments that you would open up our hearts and our minds. Lord, give us a teachable spirit. Help us to understand what you are saying and to apply these principles to our life. Let us be hearers and doers of the word, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So number one, be bold in the faith. Why? Because God is with you. Be bold in the faith because God is with you. You see, on our own strength, sometimes we are kind of weak or maybe not equipped, not confident, but when we have God on our side, he is with us. My dad was a big man. He was six foot four, and um, he was a big guy. And I remember years ago when we were traveling on vacation, and I believe we were down in Oregon, we would pull our trailer and go into these little campgrounds and always en route. And every summer we'd go camping. We'd usually go up to Banff. But on occasion, we'd go down to see my mom's family because she's the American from California. And I believe we were in Oregon, and my dad's Canadian. And so we were traveling, and I remember we, we were all set up in this little campground, and the campground had a little gift shop. And I was just a little kid of maybe seven or eight, and my brother was about 10 or 11. He's three and a half years older than me. And we were in this gift shop, and somehow my older brother, Greg, got in a confrontation with this adult male. And he irritated them enough where this guy threatened to beat him up. He says, I'm going to beat you up. And this guy was a grown-up, maybe in his early 20s, and why he's picking on some kid who's 11, 12, 13, who knows? Maybe it made him feel good. But my brother was freaked out. He was scared, and I was scared for him. And I remember we went back to our, our little campground, and, and he told my dad, he said, Dad, this guy said he's going to beat me up. And nobody wants that, do they? And he said, he said he's going to beat me up. And, and my father was, well, let's just get to the bottom of this. And I was just kind of watching the whole thing. I was just happy it wasn't me. It's like, Greg, you're on your own, buddy. I'll be your backup. I'm going to be way backed up because I'm like eight years old, and this guy is a full-grown adult. And so my dad came to the gift shop, and I remember outside he was exchanging words with this guy and standing up to him and basically defending his sons. And I don't know what my brother did. I'm sure it didn't merit a pounding, a thrashing. But for some reason, this guy was upset, and I remember him getting into a truck and heading off. And, and I was thinking as a kid, boy, I don't know if my dad can, can take him. You know, you're wondering, can my dad take this guy? Because he's pretty old. I mean, my dad was maybe in his 30s at the time. Dad's kind of old. And this guy is young, so I don't know if it's going to be a fair fight. But my dad came to our rescue and, of course, you know, was able to defuse the situation. The guy headed off. But knowing that my father was there as our protector, it always felt good because he was, he was a big guy. And uh, God is our heavenly father. And if you look at Psalm 91, he says, nothing is going to harm you 
I am your shield. I am your strong, mighty fortress. Now, we still go through tough times. He allows us to go through things on occasion because what does that do? It helps to build our faith and our trust in him. Then we, it causes us to turn to him. Sometimes we grow kind of distant, don't we? We forget about our devotional time with the Lord sometimes. We forget about having regular time with Jesus, and we're kind of like comfortable and confident on our own until something happens. Like, oh, man, I need to pray about this. This one I need help with. Where really we should be praying every day that God would cover us and bless us. But if he needs to get our attention, he can and he will. And so those times cause us to, to draw close to him. And when he comes through and meets those needs, then it gives us cause to praise him. It gives him glory. So we can be bold in the faith. Why? Because God, our Heavenly Father, is with us. And boldness comes by recognizing that God is with you through his Holy Spirit. I love what 1 John 4, 4 says, Greater is he that is in you, that's the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world, whether that be humankind or whether that be the enemy of the devil who's trying to discourage you, but greater is God that is in you. So we can take confidence in the fact that we're on the winning side. If you believe that, say amen. We don't have to fear anything. Fear is not of God. Fear is of the enemy. The Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. Why? Because when we understand how much God loves us and that he is with us and that he will help us, he is our protector and our provider, then all of a sudden we don't worry. We might get concerned, but see, concern is different. When it steps into the area of worry, worry robs us of our joy because worry and fear that's a tool of the enemy, and it robs us of our peace. It robs us of our joy. And I, I love what Philippians chapter 4 says, don't be anxious about anything. I shared this last week. Don't be anxious. But with everything, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to say, and he will supply all your need. Isn't that awesome? So be bold. God is with you. He's going to help you, and he is greater that is in you. Now, bravery is doing what you know is right in spite of fear, in spite of potential fear. Bravery is, is not something you conjure up. It's basically courage is doing what's right, even when it's hard to do. In Philippi, Paul and Silas had been beaten and imprisoned. Remember the slave girl that was demon-possessed that they delivered? And they had been using her as a, quote, fortune teller, although that's a deception, of course. But she was basically possessed and they delivered her and she was set free but the owners of the slave girl were so upset that they threw paul and silas in jail and they were beaten it's not like the jails we have now which are pretty humane for the most part back then you could be beaten you could be beaten with rods you could be put in stocks i mean you were physically abused and then you were thrown in jail to lick your wounds and so they had just been persecuted but we knew what happened remember back in Acts 16 and they begin to sing and praise and what happened boom mighty earthquake God broke them out of the jail because there's power through praise and that's another that's another sermon in and of itself but they had all gone to this so you think they might be a little bit more trepidatious they might be a little bit more uh careful and fearful and oh I don't know if we want to be stirring things up in this town now but when they were in Thessalonica, they preached boldly. Regardless of all the pagan idolatry, regardless of the potential persecution, regardless of what they had just gone through in, in Philippi, 
and what they'd experienced, they still said, we're going to do what's right because it's worth it. Because God told us to share the good news. Amen? Don't stop sharing the good news. Continue to stand up for Jesus. It is worth it. He will use you now and bless you now, and there's a reward later in heaven that we will receive one day. Number two, be a God-pleaser, not a people-pleaser. Paul did not speak deceitfully to try to gain their approval. He made sure that his message was true before God, desiring to please Him, the Lord, above all else. Ever been caught in that uh, ideology where you, you, you figure, well, I'm going to try to please this person and that person, whether it's to fit in, whether it's to be accepted, but you become a people pleaser and you will be running ragged for the rest of your life. You have to please God first. And then if you can, you know, be at peace and please others, that's great, but that's always secondary. I'm going to please God above all. When we were kids, we were growing up in Bellingham, Washington, just across the border. And, uh, and I grew up there, and again, I have an older brother and a younger brother. And one day, my folks weren't around. Again, this was back in the days where they, they didn't have helicopter parents there that just hovered. And you kind of have to hover nowadays because there's so much weird, wild stuff going on. But back in the day, they were called rancher parents. We're just roam free. Wherever you go, take your bikes. We would go, I mean, Bellingham's a pretty good-sized city. We would drive and, and ride our bikes all around that town, just be back by dinner time, be, be back before it's dark. And so it was like Roman free on the ranch. Free-range chickens is what we were. And, uh, and so my parents were gone somewhere, and it was just my older brother, myself, and our friend from down the road. And we were upstairs in our little rec room, and we got this great idea. And it was like, let's do this. You lie on your back, and uh, our friend lied on his back, and he cocked his feet, and we'll take turns sitting on the feet, and we'll launch you kind of like a catapult, and we'll see how far we can go. That sounds pretty fun, doesn't it? I mean, ingenuity of young kids, it's just a wonderful thing. So our friend lied on his back, and my older brother, Greg, who was much older and wiser than I, and at the time I was about five and he was about eight, and he sat on his feet, and you count down, one, two, three, launch! And he launched him several feet, and he hit and kind of landed on his tailbone, and he got up kind of sore and kind of limping. That should have been my indicator. That should have been my red flag, but of course it wasn't, because I thought, I want to try this, and I'm going to do it even better. And I was younger and lighter, so I could go further, so again, our friend, who was the biggest of the three of us, was on his back, and I sat down on his feet. One, two, three, launch. And I launched pretty far, and I smacked on my arm, and I broke my arm. My first big bone break of my life at the tender age of five. And I had to go to the hospital and get the old hard cast and the whole thing. And, and see, I was trying to please and keep up with the older kids with my big brother and his friend, and I wanted to be cool, and I wanted to be accepted. And at a tender age, I was always falling, falling into that trap that unfortunately, even as adults, we still tend to do. The bottom line is we have to make sure that we're pleasing Jesus first. Even before anybody else, your boss, your family, your friends, people at church, yes, love each other, take care of each other, put their needs before your own, but you will run your life ragged trying to run around and please everybody where you have to stop and say, God, what do you want me to do? And what does your word tell me to do? 
So Paul says we weren't being men pleasers. Otherwise, they could have just tried to fit into the culture of their time. Well, let's not preach that Jesus is the only way. Maybe there's many roads lead to heaven. That's called pluralism. And that ideology is very prevalent today. In fact, you see a moving, if you are watching what's happening with world affairs and with certain religions, there's a push now to try to amalgamate the theology of different religions because we agree on a lot of things. Do good, show love, forgiveness. Uh, and there's, there's some commonality there, so let's get rid of some of the peripheral things that we don't agree on. What, what we call sin, what's right and wrong behavior. Let's not get hung up on that. Let's just kind of all join together. We'll amalgamate. And ultimately, of course, we know in the last days is going to be a one-world religion. And that's a prophetic thing that we won't get into that this morning. But there's already the stages being set. Years ago, when I first started out ministry, I remember getting a mailing. And it was this ecumenical ministerial uh, summit. And I was invited to it. And I was, of course, Pentecostal pastor, pastor in our first church in Des Moines, Washington, near Seattle. And I began to read who the different people were going to be. And all of a sudden, there's, there's Buddhism, and there's different religions that are represented. And we're all going to come together and have a summit and just have a good time together and find our commonality. And, you know, I said, that's, that's a danger zone. Now, are we called to love everybody? How many believe we are? Amen? And we're all just sinners saved by grace. We're not better than anybody else. We're all just sinners saved by grace, and we need to reach out with the love of Jesus. But there are differences because there aren't many roads that lead to heaven. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus is the only way. If you believe that, say amen. And I mean, people can like it or not like it, but it doesn't change the fact that it is fact. Jesus is the only way. And that's not always a popular message in today's culture, is it? Because we're all just supposed to get along and, and let's just kind of join together and not get hung up on the details. Well, God cares about the details, so much so that he gave us his word so we know how to live and who he is and what he's called us to do. And we don't always get it right. Sometimes we make mistakes. That's when we lean into his grace and his mercy and his love. 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you. Amen? And cleanse you from all unrighteousness. We're a work in progress. We know that. But Jesus is the way. And his word is our guide. Don't be a people pleaser. Be a God pleaser. There are churches today who are changing their theology and compromising God's word in an effort to please the pop psychology of men. You know what? God never changes, and his word never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you believe that, say amen. amen. All right, we're in the right place. Praise the Lord. Finally this morning, number three, be an example, comforting and challenging others in the Lord. Paul labored night and day for the church. Uh, supporting Christian workers is a biblical principle. The Bible tells it, and Paul could have chosen to go that route, like his contemporaries, to, you know, to receive financial support, but he chose a different path, and he chose to support himself as an example of love and sacrifice to these Thessalonians. Say, so if I'm willing to do it, you can do it too, and that's what, how God led him in this context. Now, the church should be a place to be comforted, challenged, and strengthened in the Lord. We are the church, 
and God wants to use us to strengthen each other. When we come to the doors on Sunday, and I know what it's like. I mean, I've been in lots of services. You're thinking a couple of things. Okay, uh, how good is the worship going to be? I hope the band's tight, and I hope they're singing songs that I like. Uh, I hope the sermon is good. Hope it keeps me awake. Maybe he'll throw in a couple of funny anecdotes, and we'll be able to laugh. But, you know, I hope that it's good, that it's dynamic, and, and I'll be fed. I want to be fed here. And I hope I don't get stuck sitting by somebody that I don't like. You know, I'll just kind of politely move and find an excuse. You know, you, you think about these things. But here's the thing. When we come to church, yes, we want to be ministered to. And we do need to be encouraged and strengthened and challenged in your faith and discipled in the Lord. But it's not just about us. It's also, God, how can you use me to minister to somebody else? So maybe that person sitting next to me, I don't know them at all. But it's an opportunity to, to get to know them. Maybe they need a little encouragement. Maybe they need prayer. So God wants to minister to us, but he also wants to minister through us. Amen? That's the other half of why we come to church. So that we can be ministered to, but so that he can minister through us. And he'll do that not only in this place, but wherever we go throughout the course of our week. Let him use you as his vessel. And be an example so when he uses you, you can comfort, you can challenge one another, you can pray for each other, you can help strengthen each other. Uh, the church should be that place where we are challenged and comforted at the same time. If a sermon is only comforting but not challenging us, then there might be something missing. If a sermon is only challenging but not comforting us, there might be something missing. See, I believe his word does both, amen? And we get comforted, but we also get challenged of how the Lord wants us to live and what he wants us to do. I like Hebrews 10, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. When you stir it up, that means you're that person that's encouraging them. You can do it. Here's something you can do for the Lord. Man, you're awesome. You've got gifts. Use them. Allow him to use you. It says, don't forsake the assemblies of yourselves together as a manner of some. And we see that happening today. But exhort one another, and so much the more, as you see the day approaching. How many believe that Jesus' return is closer now than it was back in Paul's day? Amen? Amen. A couple thousand years ago. It's all the more close now. So it says, and so much more, as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Exhort, that means to encourage each other in the faith. And we like to be encouraged. There's certain people that are in my life, and they're just encouraging you see them, and there's that smile, and there's that gregarious, joyful nature. How you doing? And I love being around those people. And we all like to be encouraged, but God is also calling us to be an encourager. And it's, it's not always easy. Some people are type A personalities. They're more outgoing than the type B personalities, which tend to be a little quieter. It doesn't matter. God can use all of us with the personalities that he's given you. You can still be an encouragement to somebody. Amen? A kind word, a kind word, a loving act, uh, doing something unselfishly and just showing the love of Jesus. You can be an encouragement by the things you say and do. Be an example. I like what Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He didn't claim to be perfect. In fact, he said, I've been the chief of all sinners. And Sometimes the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. The things I want to do, I don't do. But he said, follow me. Not because I'm perfect, but as I follow Christ, let's follow him together. And he was an example for others to follow in his life. 
Could we all stand this morning? Let's all stand together. I'll ask the worship team to join me. And let's bow our heads and close our eyes just as we take a moment to allow him to speak to us and let's respond this morning. Praise your name. Dear Jesus, this morning we come to you and we thank you, Lord, that you are with us, oh God. Lord, we thank you that we can be bold even in days that seem vicarious with confusing culture, Lord, with a moral decline that we see around us. But Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you said, I'm going to build my church. Nothing will prevail against it. You still rule and reign. And Lord, light shines brighter in the darkness. You've called us to be the light of the world. Jesus, you've called us to be your ambassadors. So we thank you, Lord, that you are with us. And we can be bold because you are with us. We take you with us wherever we go. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you're here this morning, say, Pastor Scott, would you pray for me? I've heard your message. But to be honest, there's been times where I've given into that fear. I've given into that fear instead of choosing faith. And instead of having courage, I've kind of wilted away. If that's you this morning and you would like God to strengthen and empower you, you're going to choose faith over fear, would you slip up your hand? I want to pray for you this morning because he's here to empower you by his spirit. Amen. 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 Thank you. Secondly, this morning you might be here and maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus as your Lord. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. And I'd be happy to pray for you right where you stand. But if you'd like to surrender your life to him, just slip up your hand and I'll pray for you this morning. You can get things right with Jesus. Maybe there's just one. Amen. Praise your name. Let's pray together. And if you raise your hand, would you agree with me? And let's all just join our hearts and our faith together. Dear Lord, we thank you right now that your word is alive. And Lord, we thank you, Jesus, that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. So just as you use Paul and Silas and the believers in Thessalonica, Lord, you want to use us today. You are alive and well, and we pray, Jesus, that you would give us your strength now. Lord, give us a fresh new anointing, we pray, dear Jesus. We rebuke fear in Jesus' name. We choose faith over fear. We choose to trust in you. Jesus, you promise to protect. You promise to provide. You promise that you never leave or forsake us. And you are greater than any power of darkness. Greater is he, you, Lord, that is in us. So, Lord, just give us that strength and that courage as we choose to put our faith and trust in you. And Lord, for anybody here that maybe is not serving you, Lord, let them just surrender their lives, choosing to believe in you, Jesus, as God's Son who died and rose again, and choosing to serve you as Lord. We surrender our lives fully to you. We thank you, Lord. Praise your name. We serve a mighty God. Let's sing this chorus.